You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Eve Patton. I'm the director of the Trinity Longroom Hub, which is our Arts Humanities Research Institute. I've also become known as the bully of the Longroom Hub because every session I'm asking people, please, if you would like, to come a little bit closer to us uh, so that Zohar doesn't feel she's shouting right to the end of the room. It would be much appreciated. So this is a festival, not a conference, so we're not doing very lengthy introductions, but uh, I am delighted to welcome back to the Hub uh, one of our uh, regular contributors, and uh, Zohar Halumi Alush, and I hope I haven't mispronounced your surname as I often do, uh, is, is joining us from the School of Religion, where she works on Islamic studies. She also works in the area of religion in terms of gender and sexuality. Uh, and she recently ran a very successful conference on demonology of all things. So she has a great range of expertise. Uh, and she's going to talk to us today, a little bit of a surprise, I think, because I think she wins the best title of the festival, uh, From the Bible to the Beatles, Sarah's Laughter Between the Quran and Modern Yiddish Poetry. So, Zohar, you're very welcome. Over to you. Thank you, Eve. Um, so, from Bible to Beatles, um, between Quran and modern Yiddish poetry, how do we interconnect these, um, having these terms together in one sentence? So it might sound like the beginning of a joke. This is no joke. It's actually about a laugh. So, and Bible, Beatles, Quran, and Yiddish poetry actually con connect through the laughter of matriarch Sarah from Genesis 18 in the book of Genesis in the Bible. And Sarah, this name in Hebrew derives from the root Sarah, which means to rule, is a very dominant character in Genesis and beyond, also in Isaiah. She instructs, she acts, um, she initiates, and both human and divine beings follow her. This is all very nice, but it kind of ends there. Because when we move from the Bible and its um, interpretations out to reception history, this all ends. And reception history is a concise way to say how people transmit, interpret, and use the stories of the Bible. So we're talking from antiquity to common era, from Paradise Lost to Hollywood films, all the use we do is basically we all do in reception history. Um, and in reception history, what we find is that Sarah is actually played down and turned into a very passive character. Already very early, we find in the Septuagint that Sarah is almost entirely passive. Mind you, it's supposed to be a translation of the Bible, but they managed to do that. Josephus has her very similar to Abraham, only without the initiative. The New Testament and um, Syriac homily of Soida Ephraim actually portray her as a model, but as a model of female subservience. And Philo, who is very sympathetic of Sarah, does not forget to first remove from her any feminine identity. So, Sarah's laughter. We will look um, at this element as a very um, very um, dominant motif in Genesis 18, 
which demonstrates for us how this proactive uh, trait of Sarah is being removed from her, shifted from her to other male characters and what this implies. We'll have uh, we look at Genesis 18 and then look at its representations in Quranic narrations of this story, then in modern poetry, focusing on Itzik Manga's uh, poems, some musical adaptations of it, and then finally, um, we'll think a little about why this laughter had to be removed and what are the implications. Starting in the beginning in Genesis, we find the story of elderly Abraham and Sarah who are visited by three men, turning out to be um, supernatural beings, and they inform them that elderly Sarah is going to be pregnant. Sarah is quite surprised, and being very polite, she laughs inside. But nothing escapes God, and he challenges over this laughter. Now, the laughter itself actually attracted a lot of, um, um, a lot of discussions by interpreters of the Bible, but as I said, this kind of stops um, in the Bible and its immediate uh, interpretations. Because when we move to, um, to the reception history, we find that this laughter is actually being lost, being omitted, or being shifted from her. And one example, <coughs> a very clear example, um, of this is the Quranic narrations of Genesis 18. The Quran, <coughs> until recent years, we wouldn't think of the Quran as part of reception history of the Bible, but it is. Okay, actually, the Quran deals very extensively with the Bible, and in particular with the stories of Genesis, which take a huge percentage of the Quranic biblical um, stories. And the particular story of the Annunciation in Genesis 18 appears in four chapters of the Quran. Interestingly, only two of them include Sarah. So the, um, the narrations in Surahs 15 and 29 actually completely omit her character. The three visitors come, but they only speak to Abraham and announce to him that he will have a son. In the, in the narrations that are included in chapters 11 and 51, we do have the character of Sarah, but like most women in the Quran, she is not named. Still, we can identify her because of the details, because of the context. Nevertheless, when we look in Quran 15, as I said, these verses omit the character of Sarah, we still find an echo of her to be more precise, an echo of her laughter. And the Quran uses here um, so a technique that it uses in several uh, places when it deals with um, biblical texts. It uses the consonants of the Hebrew, of the Hebrew Bible, to echo and interpret the text. So in Genesis 18, when Sarah hears about um, her forthcoming pregnancy, she laughs. And she says something very interesting. We're not going to go to all into that today. She says, after I have become old, I had sexual pleasure. And now they don't give you this interpretation in school. But trust me, I said, it is what it says, OK? And my Lord, and my Lord is old. Quran, Fifteen, I said, does not even mention her. 
but it, it refers to that. The Annunciation is to Abraham, and it is Abraham says, I am Lord, so also the Lord here, the Quran is very clear, it's not the Lord, it's this Lord, yeah? Um, and the visitors tell Abraham, oh, we announce you with truth. Now, Bilhak is very reminiscent to a person who would know Hebrew of the name Itzhak, Isaac. And Itzhak means he who shall love. And to fortify this, we look in Quran 11.71, the other, another uh, narration of Genesis 18 in the Quran. There God announces Abraham's wife, who is the forthcoming verse, and the text says, Bashanaha Bishak. So Bashanaka Bishak, we announce you with truth, and Bashanaha Bishak, we announce her with Isaac. And hence the, the laughter is still is absent but still present. Similarly, in Quran 51, 28, where the character of Sarah is mentioned in the narration. Abraham is announced with a son, and Sarah approaches, and she, repro she responds to this annunciation, similar to what we find in Genesis 18, but rather than laugh, she approaches with a cry, and she strikes her face. So in my imagination, having watched too many Egyptian classical movies, she comes to say, Yawali, Yawali, this is a very typical reaction of actual lament. Anything but laughter, but the sound of her lament, she approaches Fisala Fasaka Bashaha. And this sounds very similar to Sarah Sarah laughed, which we find again in Genesis 18. Finally, this one place um, of the four Quranic narrations where Sarah actually laughs. But even here in Quran 11, the laughter is problematic because it is detached from the Annunciation. Genesis 18 is actually a very problematic text, not just because of this Edna um, thing, but a lot of issues. And the Quran takes much pain to solve all these issues. For example, this Lord, Lord thing, and many others. But in this case, the Quran actually introduces a problem where the Bible for change is very simple and very clear. The Bible says, she was told, oh, you're 90 years old? Congratulations, you're going to have a child. <laughs> the Quran says, and then she laughs. Makes sense. The Quran says, she comes, she's like, oh, this is so, so funny. And then, and then the messengers say, oh, by the way, you're going to have a child. What's, you know, what's the sense? Why is she laughing? Well, the scholars, you know, um, are still wondering about it for the last um, 1,300 years. But if we take this verse and put it in the context of the three other narrations of Genesis 18 in the Quran, it might make more sense. Because we see that in, ev in every one of them, either the laughter is completely omitted or it is shifted from Sarah. And here we see that, okay, the laughter is here, but it is detached and separated from the Annunciation. Clearly, there's something very problematic about Sarah's laughter, something that makes the Quran either remove it or at least separate it from the Annunciation and the pregnancy. 
And this difficulty is not just typical of the Quran. We see it continuing throughout from late antiquity, 7th century, um, Quran, time of the Quran, into modern times, into modern poetry. And we see that modern poets, in a very systematic way, portray Sarah as a grumpy old lady. She always complains, she always cries, she shouts, she envies, she's bitter. And this is despite the fact that the Bible also depicts her as very beautiful, as laughing, as positive. She's always either cursing in poetry or lips thin with disapproval, jealous, bitter. And I love um, this poem by Mickey Ferminger, as hard as Sarah toward Abraham. This really sums it up for us. Now, you might say, okay, perhaps all the poems refer to, you know, Biden of Isaac, a very traumatic um, episode, or the relationship with Hagar, which was not difficult, was not very easy, but even poems that refer to happy moments, the Annunciation, the birth, even there, she is depicted in that way. And this is more um, uh, evident in the poetry of Itzik Mangal. Itzik Mangal, was that, it's, believe it or not, this for me was, uh, no, it was really an illumination. It's a commander was like the Justin Bieber of poetry in the 1930s. So he was born in Chernobyl in Austro-Hungary in 1901 and started uh, publishing in the 1920s. When he moved to Poland, he gained meteoric success. Thousands would follow him from town to town to attend his poetic concerts, could you believe it? You'd think, and um, what, um, he published 10 books until 1938, breaking off uh, World War II, managed to escape to the UK and then moved to New York. His last two years he spent in Israel very ill, but these two years were actually um, very meaningful because he was well accepted, widely translated, and following his death, his uh, work would be performed on stages. Now the uniqueness about him is that he, like the Quran, dealt extensively with biblical things. In particular, his 1935 Chumash leader, uh, the poems of the Chumash, are taking the stories of Genesis and moving them to his own time and space, to the pre-World War II Städtel, which is a small town um, Yiddish-speaking of Jews in pre-Holocaust uh, Eastern Europe. And all the biblical characters are relocated there. For example, there's a poem about how Abraham takes Hagar and puts her to the train station when he sends her away. So all characters are moved into his world. And because he dealt so extensively with the Bible, with Genesis in particular, we have a more um, comprehensive understanding of his view of Sarah. So it's not just a single poem which we say, okay, it was, I don't know, about the binding, so it had to be sad. No, he had several poems about her, and we get um, a view into how he actually saw her character. And it was not, it was not a lovely sight. 
So the three angel, angels is actually a poem about exactly Genesis 18. And let us look at Sarah. She is located in the dark alcove. She is wailing. She is crying. She shoots out with a whale. And that, how does she refer to the child that she craves to have? And craving is a very strong motif in the Mandel's poetry. She craves to have a son whom she called a Kaddish. And a Kaddish is the prayer that the son said, says to, uh, for the um, souls of his dead parents. So this is how um, she is uh, depicted to be portraying an unborn son yet, someone who would say the prayer for his deceased parents. So no laughter for Sarah at all. Who will be the father according to Mandra? The child will be Abraham's. Again, different to Genesis 18, where it's Sarah's son. Finally, there is actually a reference to the joy, to the happiness, but it flutters out the window. That is, that is, does it go inside the house or does it go outside through the window? The Yiddish is very ambivalent about this point. It leaves it for us to decide. Another poem gives, um, presumably a dialogue, it's more of a monologue of Sarah speaking to Abraham, somewhere between Genesis 16 and 18, between her giving Hagar to Abraham so that he can have a child with her. Doesn't work out very well. Hagar has Yishmael, but Yishmael remains Hagar's son. And between the uh, annunciation that Sarah will eventually have a son, but she doesn't know it yet. Again, Sarah, her body sobs. Um, she's, um, she has sadness in her hand, sadness in her blood. Her son, the soul of uh, the future child, wanders among rain and shadow and wind. I remind you, this son is going to be Itzhak, the guy who laughs. So this is what he does. In the meantime, the other guy, Abel's child, who is also Abraham's child, this guy plays with the son and is smiling. And whose handmaid is it? According to the Bible, Sarah's handmaid. According to Mango, it is Abraham's. If not enough, shifting and taking the laughter from, um, from Sarah in Mango's poetry, we have several adaptations of this um, poem. And we see that all of them, quite uh, much more recently, and we see that all of them are actually continuing the same line. So in 1969, the singer Eric Einstein decided to perform this song. He asked Misha Segel to compose it and do it in a Beatles style. And Segel chose Obladi Oblada. Okay, so Obladi Oblada, which begins like this. Abraham and Sarah. But then, 
So we hear the very um, similar uh, beginning, and also the thing is quite similar just at the beginning because we're talking about a couple who are about to start a family. That was for um, 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 for the little song we're talking about, uh, happy ever after in the marketplace. This is not exactly what's going on with. Sarah and Abraham, and with the cheerful um, tone of Obladi Oblada, also Einstein's um, song um, adopts a similarly cheerful song to bring some happiness into the occasion. So, for example, we hear a lot of laughter going on throughout the song. <laughs> in a very um, exaggerated manner. You don't need to understand the language to, to hear how he just, you know, he pulls it a little too much. <laughs> so basically, we have a lot of cheerfulness, happiness, laughter, ha ha ha. But is it less Sarah's laughter? No, it is more actually a laughter at Sarah. And this goes on. A year later, we have a very... Okay. Um, yeah. A year later, we have a production, a big production of uh, Mangus poems, this time in the original Yiddish. And again, you will not need to understand a word of Yiddish to hear that here Sarah is literally wailing, and Abraham too is not very happy. Now, who are three these three guys who do the choir? They are actually the three divine messengers from Genesis 18. And they are not present in the poem. They are not present in... Um, in the context of the argument about Hagar and her son, but the director, Shmuel Bunim, introduced them into the scene to lighten up and bring some uh, humoristic element. Humor, laughter, yes, but again, it's not um, Sarah's laughter, but actually um, uh, external to her and removing it from her. Similarly, this same Shmuel Bunim did another production of, uh, of um, the same show, basically the same musical, translating everything into Hebrew. And here again, he used an artistic choice in order to lighten up and bring some uh, um, laughter, amusement into 
the song and literally this time reducing um, the, the situation because it took this very Yiddish, uh, very Eastern European context and um, chose to, as cast two people who are as, as far from, uh, from the Yiddish culture as Yemen is from Poland because he used a singer, Shoshana Damari, who is of Yemenite origin, and as Abraham, a guy, Ari Elias, who is of Iraqi origin, and they were born in this country, and they have very strong um, Yemenite and Iraqi accents. You can hear in Elias' tone that he's well aware of the grotesque situation. It sounds as if he's about um, to laugh. Again, we have the laughter, but the laughter remains at Sarah and not hers.
and the other is that of Sarah herself. The woman is called a ruler, a governor, Sarah, as being either a female deity or a priestess queen. Melina and Helen Eshed also notes that the laughter, actually, once Sarah laughs, this is the thing that opens up her womb. So this gives her agency. She laughs and she moves from sterility to fertility. And therefore, she does not depend on God. If we think about it, in Genesis 16, Sarah, Sarah was trying to do the same thing. She said, okay, God, I'm nearly 80, 90. I'm tired of you. I'm going to promise us, right, right, we heard you. I'm going to have a child. And then she gives her handmaid to Abraham to have a child through her. It didn't work out, but we see that Sarah actually, um, you know, she is initiating. She is working in that direction of doing things her way and herself. In short, as we saw, reception history is not very fond of Sarah as a proactive um, character and systematically tries to suppress her agency and the same stands for this laughter. It had to go away. Sad thing for me is that the, the modern poetry that they showed earlier, many of their poems are women, some of them regard themselves as highly feminist and they all um, cooperate with this suppression. So in summary, we use her interdisciplinarity and intertextuality to reveal um, the enduring suppression of Sarah's laughter in reception history and we see that this suppression of her agency goes from third century uh, before common era to these days and it goes across time, region, genre and also in modern adaptations and we see her, all her active traits transferred to Abraham find it not to speak to her, the child is not hers, the laughter is not hers. So we started with a laugh and we end with its suppression, which seems to be sadly the, inter, um, the thing that interconnects the Bible, Quran, Beatles and Yiddish poetry. But um, at least um, I hope this illustrates to us uh, also what Mandu refers to as the sad and beautiful ways of the Bible. And we'll say goodbye and thank you with this.